This is Spin Control, a Fibercraft podcast by a joyful girl. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Spin Control, episode 143, Rabbit Holes. In this episode, I've got some knitting and spinning. A little tale for you about the rabbit hole that I fell into. I'm going to put my spin on the Estes Park wool market. But of course, we will kick this episode off with some updates. Updates. So what have I been up to? So our trip to Estes Park and the week's worth of camping that we did in the Rocky Mountain National Park were pretty amazing. So I'm not sure if you're aware, if you're not from here, that the weather is not typical June weather for Colorado right now. We have literally had rain every single day, which isn't a bad thing because you know what they say. Well, we need the rain. We do need the rain, but it's like a lot of rain. There's been flash floods and all sorts of things. So luckily when we were in the national park, it rained maybe a couple hours each day. There was a little bit of hail, but we were still able to thoroughly enjoy our time in the park. So the boy in true boy fashion brought little things with us to keep us entertained. So of course I had knitting and spinning. He brought books to read and he read, he got through one of them while we were at the park, but he also brought some games. So we played Boggle, not for very long because the little fancy schmancy boggle case that we had ended up breaking not like out of game anger or anything like that it was just old and beat up and didn't last very long i learned how to play cribbage which was a lot of fun and in true fashion for our relationship uh the boy beat me like every time we played anything except for the very first game of cribbage that we played but it was a lot of fun got to hang out with three of my favorite couples, got to see a bunch of my Nick girls on Saturday. We had a great little barbecue up at the campsite. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. And in spite of the rain, we got some really good outdoor time in. We, I think three days out of the seven that we were there, uh, the boy and I went on three to four mile hikes. We saw several things like moose out in the wild, um, longhorn sheep, tons of elk, turkeys, And it was just a really, really great time. And of course, there were tons of flowers and nature was like in full growth because of all the rain we've been getting. So it was fantastic. Everything was beautiful and green. And we had dinner at our favorite Mexican restaurant, Ed's Cantina downtown. We got to sit by the river for a while and knit at Kind Coffee in Estes Park. It was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it. I'll tell you more about the wool market later on when I put my spin on it. But yeah, I would say this year's trip to the Rocky Mountain National Park and the Estes Park Wool Market were complete successes and we had such a good time and I can't wait for next year. What else have I been up to? Shearing. So we came back from camping on Sunday morning, got home by noon, and I reached out to the breeder and I was like, hey, um, what time do you want me there tomorrow morning so that I can help with shearing? And he, his response was, everyone and everything are so wet shearing has been postponed for two weeks so shearing's been postponed we haven't done that yet my boys are still being boarded by the breeder and it looks like the weekend of the 24th and 25th we will be doing shearing and the boy and i will be out there helping and that should be a lot of fun the fact that they're still away right now is is kind of good 
because it actually gives me the opportunity to like open up the entire barn and like deep clean everything while they're not here because like bits of hay and hay dust and I mean stuff just gets all over the place because the wind around here is pretty heavy. So I'm going to take a leaf blower and uh, like blow all the extra hay dust out of the barn and then probably do some pressure washing in like their stall and stuff while they're not there and just get everything nice and clean. It's like super late in the season. Typically, this is something I do in the spring, but man, we're like almost at summertime and just the weather's not been conducive with all the rain to any of this stuff. So this should give me a really good opportunity to get some barn deep cleaning done and get some lawn work and that kind of thing, like spraying out the pasture to get rid of weeds and things like that. I'm disappointed that shearing's not done, but I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to get some extra work and chores taken care of. It looks like that's just about all I've got going on in updates. So I guess it's time to get this podcast started. In this episode, I have got a little tale for you about the rabbit hole that I fell into. All right, I jumped into it. But yeah, apparently circular sock knitting machines, particularly um, antique ones that require refurbishment, are very distracting and take quite a bit of attention. (laughs) So I believe I mentioned it in the last episode. I have three antique circular sock machines, all in need of refurbishment and repair. And I decided that I was going to start that effort over the last like three weeks. And I, it was very distracting. I got a lot done, but I did so much with these circular sock machines that it is ridiculous. I promise that the uh, podcast will not be taken over by sock machines, but I did want to tell you about what I've been doing that has taken me away from all of my normal stuff. It didn't take me away. I've gotten plenty accomplished, but it, they kind of have taken over my dining room table at this point. Um, half the dining room table. Okay. So the first thing I did after I recorded the last episode was to literally pull the three machines out of where I had them stored and take them all out of their boxes, pull everything apart and inventory them to see whether or not like how complete these machines were because they have a lot of working parts and they're pretty intricately and very fascinatingly designed. And mind you, circular sock machines have been around since like the 1800s. So the oldest one that I have in my inventory was manufactured in 1914. So it's well over 100 years old. And so I started, you know, perusing the internet and stalking some Facebook groups just to try to find some advice and counsel on where to start with the refurbishment. And I was referred to a gentleman by the name of Pete Oswald. So if you have a circular sock machine or you've done anything like this, you've probably heard his name. He's been messing around with circular sock machines since 1989. And in particular, he knows everything that there is to know about Gearhart circular sock machines, which is what I own. All three of my machines are Gearhart brand family knitters. Two of them are 1914. And the verdict on the year for the last one is kind of a little bit um, up in the air (laughs) because it looks like it actually may have been like have a replacement part or two from a different year. 
But Pete Oswald is going to help me figure that out. And he actually has one of my machines because I think the refurbishment on that one is going to be beyond my skills and ability. And he is going to take a look at it and let me know what it needs. And we're going to go from there. But over the course of the last three weeks, I cleaned up, degreased, and removed rust from two 1914 circular sock machines, both of which are now in working order. And that makes me want to pat myself on the back. Now, to date, I have made exactly nothing except for tubes of sock yarn on these machines. So I would say the learning curve on actually producing a garment from a circular sock machine is pretty steep. I am confident in my intelligence and my patience and my abilities, and I thoroughly intend to make things on these machines. Two fully functional machines that could use a couple of parts, like neither of them have a ribber. So the machines will actually make ribbing, but you have to have the ribber attachment, and I do not. But they're two functioning machines. One is still in the works. And here's my plan. I really kind of want a brand new one, but I also want an antique one because that's cool. So my plan is between the two that I currently have in my inventory to get them both working as well as I can, and then decide between the two which one is my favorite. I might like them equally well, but to that end, whichever one is not my favorite, I intend to sell. Fully refurbished and fully functional so that some other person can get the same kind of joy that I'm getting out of these machines. And then once I have the 1919, it's possibly a 1919 frame with other parts from newer machines. Once I get the third one fixed, I plan to pick my favorite from the remaining 1914 and that one, and then sell the second one so that I retain an antique in my inventory and then use the proceeds from those sales to purchase a new machine, most likely from Erlbacher Gearhart, which essentially they, I don't even know, it's probably been a couple decades now, they took the original plans from the Gearheart machine. They're kind of in the same family, like legit familial family, and started manufacturing those machines again. And so you can get a brand new one that has like tech support and some improvements from what the original design was. So I kind of want one Gearheart antique and one new Erlbacher Gearheart machine. And I think that would be pretty cool. But anyway, soaking metal and removing rust degreasing using household cleaners, lots and lots of steel wool and wire brushes and cleaning and testing and replacing needles and, you know, little parts, little antique parts with modern parts. Yeah, it's been quite an adventure and I've thoroughly enjoyed it, but it is definitely a rabbit hole that I have jumped full force into. Like I said, I'm not going to let the podcast get taken over by circular sock machines. I will probably report progress stuff to you, but I'm still primarily a spinner who knits or a knitter who spins. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a wild ride. What I think I'm going to do when it comes to talking about circular sock machines, because I've spent so much time refurbishing. And so where I started with trying to refurbish these machines was asking three different sock machine Facebook groups, Hey, Do you know of 
a tutorial or instructions or, you know, someone else with a podcast who has done refurbishments before who could, you know, give tips and tricks and pointers. Where do I even start with this? So that's not out there. So I intend to record some videos of my adventure and post them on YouTube and let y'all know that they're there if you're interested in that stuff. So yeah, it's a rabbit hole. I'm like slowly but surely climbing the walls to get back out of the rabbit hole to get back to normalcy, but I can't guarantee that's going to happen anytime soon. And now it's on to spinning my wheels. And I have been pretty busy and pretty pleased with all of the progress that I have made in spite of the rabbit hole. First, I started and finished the pride hat for bird. It is a design by Shirsty Cat Designs. She and her crew, they are yarn dyers and we often see them at Maryland Sheep and Wool. And I bought the kit there last year and finished it. So I need to block the hat still and get it in the mail so it makes its way to Denver to bird. So that's pretty cool. And I'm very pleased with that. I finished swatching for the tank top design and that makes me very, very happy. So what I did was I swatched with a size eight and a size nine needle on worsted weight. And I decided that I liked the size eight fabric better. So I actually cast on. Ooh. I had to do like math and stuff though, <laughs> because, um, yeah, I needed to know, you know, how many stitches at my current gauge would give me the 38 inch circumference that I wanted on this tank top. It's not, I guess it's not necessarily a circumference because it's an apron style tank top, which means it is open completely in the back. So it's knit flat. It doesn't feel like I've gotten much done because I've only gotten about two and a half inches knit, but I was thinking about that. I'm like, it that is a lot of knitting, actually, because we have 212 stitches for my bus size. And that two and a half inches is probably 20 or more rows, right? So, I mean, how many stitches is that, right? 212 times 20. So it's at least 4,000 stitches. That's a lot of stitches. Do you ever do that to yourself? I am three inches in and the body of this thing is going to be 18 inches and that's 4,000 stitches. Yeah. Yeah. So 18 divided by three, six. So the body of this thing is going to be like 24,000 stitches. That's a lot of stitches. <laughs> I very rarely do that kind of math for myself because it's astronomical. Like when you think about how many individual stitches go into a sweater or go into a pair of socks, that's a lot of stitches. It is. And it blows my mind that I spend that much time creating that many stitches. It's awesome. I love knitting so much, but I think we all know that by now. Anyway, <clears throat> got a decent start on the tank top. I have about half an inch before I move on to the first section of color work. And yeah, so that should be pretty cool. And I'm excited about that. Look at me making progress. Oh, okay. I know I tell you that I do this all the time. I cast on another pair of plain Jane socks. However, let me tell you about this pair of plain Jane socks. I'm not angry with it. How cool is that? I did not add a stitch pattern. It is a true fingering weight yarn. The needle size is decent. And 
with the color of the yarn, I'm having absolutely zero problems using this particular yarn needle combination <laughs> to knit in public. It's like so easy. I'm so pleased. No more light fingering for me as my knitting in public project. But these Plain Jane socks kind of went everywhere with me at Estes Park. And, you know, that's what I'm taking out to dinner or over to friends' houses and that kind of thing. Because I can literally effortlessly knit it without worrying about having to mess it up or never finishing it. And I'm making great progress on those. Now, let me tell you what I did that was different on these than I'd ever done before. I tried the Turkish cast on. Now, Judy's Magic cast on is cool. However, it's not easy. It's hard to, it, it's a little bit difficult to learn the methodology of getting those initial stitches on there. And then as you work your way around to get it off the first two needles, it is very tight and fiddly and very difficult to do. And every time I use that cast on, I typically have to start a couple times because I'll end up dropping stitches and won't be able to recover. It's fiddly and it's hard. Well, the Turkish cast on is so easy and yields the exact same results. It's awesome. What I did, someone was talking about it. I can't remember who said, oh, the Turkish cast on, or I think I might've seen it on Instagram. So I decided to Google it before I cast on these socks to see if it was something feasible that I might want to try. And I found several YouTube tutorials. And the one I actually chose to use was from Andrea Mowry. Her YouTube tutorials are pretty good, by the way. But it was super, super simple. I believe, I haven't tried it on any other method, but I believe that this cast on is intended for kind of like a magic loop cast on. So a long circular needle. You don't have to keep your knitting on that needle, but it works really, really well. So what I did was I went down into my needle stash, found a size two, long, long circ. I, I think at least 32 inches, but longer, of course, will work. And in like 15 minutes with no repeat, I had two toes cast on. It was awesome. It's, I highly recommend that cast on. Because that cast on was so simple, I might actually try different heels on these socks as well. But it's cool. So I cast those socks on, I finished the toes on both, and I am more than halfway done with the foot on the one. And I'm so excited <laughs> that I tried that cast on. It was so, so easy. So I highly recommend if you are a toe up sock knitter, that you try the Turkish cast on. It is so easy and it yields a totally seamless toe that you can't really even see where the cast on is. It's fantastic. I absolutely loved it and it made me so happy. In the last episode, I put a call out to try to get some recommendations for my next sweater. I have not cast anything on yet, but I think I've narrowed it down to two. But I wanted to take a minute to run through some of the recommendations that I got and some of the sweaters I've been looking at over the past few weeks to try to decide. Folks recommended several sweaters. The first one I got was some, uh, one of the listeners, sorry, I don't have it pulled up, over on Ravelry, recommended the Catbells cardigan, which is super adorable. It is by Megan Nodecker, and it looked pretty simple and a very beautiful finish. I like that one a lot. Uh, Curtain Call by Jenny Wayby. Calibrate by Shanna Cohan. The Effortless Cardigan by Zaybeth. That's available on the Lime Brands website. Um, what else? 
The Pearl Code by Isabel Kramer and The Felix Pullover by Amy Christopher. And right now, I think I've narrowed it down to, oh, this is hard. So I see, I thought I had a decision in place. So the Cat Bells cardigan and the Effortless cardigan both um, look really appealing if I decide I want to knit a cardigan next. But then for pullovers, the Felix pullover or the Pearl Code, either of those two sweaters will be my next knit. So if I decide to go cardigan, it's cat bells or effortless. If I decide to go pullover, it'll be the Pearl Code or Felix. I'm kind of leaning towards Felix because I got some perfect yarn when I was at Maryland Sheep and Wool just this year. That would be amazing in that cardigan. So we'll have to see how that goes. All right, in spinning. So in spinning, I am still chugging away on, I guess it's not really chugging away. I got some good time spinning while I was in Estes Park in the Rocky Mountain National Forest. And, and I'm still working my way through the Spunky Eclectic. It's going really well. Like it's spinning as smoothly and as tightly as I want my sock yarn to be. It is not like sock weight though. I mean, yeah, no, it's not like fingering weight yarn. But technically to be good sock yarn, it doesn't have to be fingering weight. It's more about the consistency of your worsted drafting method and the prep of the fiber and the content of the fiber, whether or not it's gonna wear well as socks. So we will keep that in mind as I continue on with that. I also get, got a wild hair yesterday and decided to start something random and beautiful just to see what happens. And I'm working on four ounces of 50% merino, 25% bamboo, and 25% silk in the colorway Retro Girl by Greenwood. Greenwood makes some beautiful, beautiful fiber. And I always see them at events like Estes Park and yeah, it's gorgeous. But I don't, I was like, oh no, like which spinning wheel would I start a project like this? And I always forget that I have all of these wheels, right? Just sitting around. So I'm actually fitting this as I record and I'm working on my antique reproduction Louette S40 hat box wheel. So I own two hat box wheels. One is an antique that I refurbished and the other is a reproduction just because I got sucked in. And it's gorgeous. The S40 hat box is a friction wheel. So instead of having a drive band, it's got one large wheel in the middle and the flyer and bobbin rest up against it. And as you spin the one big wheel, the bobbin turns. And it's pretty cool. And I, I don't know, I just love messing around with this wheel. It's a little bit limiting because you cannot adjust. There's no drive band. There's no variation in the ratio. You can't, yeah, it, it's literally, you can spend faster by pedaling faster with your foot. And that's it. That's like the only way to adjust the speed of the wheel. But it's pretty cool and it's really fun. And I enjoy working on this wheel quite a bit. All right. So I need to talk about fleece just a little bit. So the rabbit hole, I think the biggest thing that the rabbit hole pulled me away from 
was processing Gotland. So I need to get back to that so that I can actually get to spinning that fleece. I'm definitely not going to get anything handmade out of that yarn when I finish it, but hopefully I'm still on track to finish spinning that fleece by the end of the year. But that's not the only thing I need to talk about. So last year at Maryland Sheep and Wool in 2022, me and my Tanya bought fleece, one each, and we dropped them off with the processor before we left the fairgrounds. It was like so rainy and just so gross. We didn't even want to deal with it. So we're like, let's find someone to take these off our hands immediately. And it took an entire year to get the fleece back. It's beautifully processed and apparently extremely large because the box was 11 pounds. The original fleece was... 12.8 pounds like I can't even imagine why I would pick such a large fleece but so let's say minus the box itself I have nine to ten pounds of fleece that is processed and ready to spin and I'm going Chilo what are you thinking like what am I gonna do with 10 pounds of fleece oh and here is the kicker I can't tell you what kind of fleece it is because I can't remember what I bought. And if you've ever purchased a fleece from Maryland Sheep and Wool, ooh, the weather's changing. It's like starting to thunder and lightning outside right now. Crazy. Okay. So if you've ever purchased a fleece, I don't know if every fleece place does this, but Maryland Sheep and Wool, each bag has two tags. So you will have duplicate copy plus your receipt that outlines what the fleece, what the breed of the sheep was, how it was cared for, like whether or not it was coated, skirted, whether it's a 4-H fleece, etc. And the weight. And the weight is unprocessed. So that's a dirty fleece. And the amount of vegetable matter and second cuts and grease that you're going to have in each fleece is going to vary, but that's in the weight on the tag. The only reason I know what the original weight of this fleece was is because the processor list listed that on the invoice before washing. I still need to weigh the finished fleece, but I have no clue what breed this is. And I'm like, oh, great. Good job, Shy. What were you thinking? So I'm probably going to spend some time investigating all of the sheep breeds that they sell at Maryland Sheep and Wool in the fleece sale and show, compare staple length, color, and quality to see if I can at least narrow down what breed of sheep this possibly is. Initial investigation tells me it's got about a five inch staple length and we will just have to go from there. Actually, I'll probably end up pulling the lock out, getting it rewetted to see like how the actual crimp behaves when it's wet and then dries. So yeah, I have no clue what kind of fleece this is. And I have like nine to 10 pounds of it. So I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Oh, I'm such a dill hole. I'm like, how stupid. <laughs> oh, what an idiot. I believe that I saved one of those two tags and kept it with me so that I wouldn't forget but then I likely threw it away when I did the deep clean of the craft room this past winter. So silly. 
And as far as fleece goes, the only other fleece that has made its way into my stash or collection at this point is I bought not an entire fleece. I bought just over a pound of clean CDM when I was at the Estes Park Wool Market. And it's because I really wanted a CDM, but I couldn't find like a whole fleece that really made me happy. So someone was selling last year's that didn't sell clean. Essentially, the breeder cleaned it and I did not CVM, like a straight CVM, not a CVM cross. I did not have a CVM in my fleece collection. And I'm really trying hard not to get repeat fleeces because I want to work with like all of the ones that I have and determine really like what what's my favorite? What do I like best? I think the next thing I'm in the market for is just a really good medium fleece. I have all fine and all long wools, but no just good quality medium fleece. So I will have to figure out what breeds are available in my region or at the events I'll be at over the next 12 months or so. And yeah, try to get myself my hands on, get my hands on a good medium fleece in a color that I adore. Of course, I think in my head that I've passed up many medium fleeces because The ones at the events I go to are all white and I don't necessarily want white fleece. I don't know why. I love gray. (laughs) That's why a lot of my lawnmower fleeces are gray. I got issues, but it'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah, so I have a lot of work to do on the spinning tip and we'll just have to see how all this pans out. In this episode, I am going to put my spin on the Estes Park Wool Market. This is an event I really thoroughly enjoy. It is hosted every year, like the first or second weekend in June, at the Estes Park Events Complex right outside of town. If you've ever been to Estes Park, you pretty much you come over the bridge into town and there's the event complex. It's easy to find, it is well-organized, and it's just lovely. They have a lot of high-quality vendors in the market and a lot of actual activities going on throughout the few days of the event. It's actually five days, if I recall correctly. The first thing I would like to say is that, this is a negative comment, by the way, I do not believe that the name of this event adequately represents what the actual event is. It is called a wool market, but it is so much more than just a market. They have a great market with lots of vendors and it's set up really well. And they always have really, really good vendors and a lot of great selection of a variety of things. But they are also showing alpaca and llama and rabbits and they have sheepdog demonstrations. They have a variety of presenters who come in and we'll talk about different things. For example, there was one lady who gave like this whole hour and a half long talk about weird wheels, right? So she had this huge collection of very strange spinning wheels and she like did a presentation and talk about it. So it's so much more than a market. And I think the name does not well encapsulate everything that you get from going to this event. One, it's free, which is fantastic. You get so much more than you would at Yarnfest 
because everything you do at Yarnfest, you have to pay for it, including going to their market. And I think every vendor that was at Yarnfest was also at Estes Park. Well, the good ones anyway. Okay, so the event's five days because the first three days are actually classes. So in conjunction with this whole breed competition and animal judging and all those things that they do on the weekend, you can take classes on knitting, spinning, weaving, and a variety of different fibery arts things the three days leading up to the event. That's actually where I took my first Maggie Casey class. And they like hold those in classrooms at the high school, which is like right across the way. So that's pretty cool. And it's just a great event. There are a couple of, I don't know if they're negatives. There are just a couple of recommendations I would have for the event. One, update your name, but they probably won't because it's been around for a really long time. I think 31 years is how long it's been around at this point. And they need more food. They have like four little food trucks, which might actually be enough food, but the variety is kind of thin. But the one thing they could really use, which was even more apparent this year, is it would be great if they had a covered space with tables and chairs where people could sit and knit or sit and eat. The only covered space that has seating is the grandstands where they host like some of those events I was talking about. Like if nothing else, pretty much all of my knit friends at one or two o'clock whenever they they do it on saturday they're going to be over in the grandstands watching the alpaca obstacle course yes an alpaca obstacle course but that's really the only covered space it would be great if they had a nice canopy set up someplace with tables and chairs because usually this event saturday afternoon sunday afternoon anytime after like 11 in the morning It's usually so hot that if you're not in the market, you're sweating like it's hot. This year at 1230, it started pouring down rain. But the only place to seek refuge was either in the market or over in the grandstands. But then once you were in the grandstands, it was raining so hard you couldn't get back to the market. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the condition we found it in. But if you get the chance to go to Estes Park for the wool market, I highly recommend it. It's a great event. They have wonderful open barns where you can walk around and see all the sheep and the goats and all of the alpaca and llama and all those things. They have some really cool events, some good sheepdog demos and lots of presentations. And the one thing that this event does that people laud all the time is the fact that they actually do their sheep judging in public over the weekend. So they will have their primary sheep judge at a table, they will put fleece in front of her or him, and the judge will talk about the quality of the fleece and like how it is compared to the breed standard. It's really cool. Like they talk about staple length, cleanliness, you know, health of the animal and all those things based on the fleece. And the judge walks through all of that material and it's really cool. So, I mean, I think you learn a lot about how they judge fleece and how the quality is determined. And it's, it's just really interesting that it's that transparent because you don't see that. Actually, I don't know if you see that at any other wool event in the nation. Again, I highly recommend this event. It is a lot of fun and they have a lot of great things to offer. If you get the chance and find yourself there, definitely don't pass up the opportunity to attend. 
Alrighty, it looks like it is time to spin off this episode of Spin Control. Like I said, I've got only a couple things going on here in the near future. Next weekend, we will be shearing the boys, and that should be a lot of fun, and I'll let you know how that goes. I can't believe that this year is like half over. It's just flown. Like, since January, I can't believe it's already June is more than halfway done. It's crazy. This year is going, which means that some of the goals I've set for myself for this year are in jeopardy of not being met. But we'll see. I will keep driving forward and have an assessment and maybe a plan for finishing the Gatlin place. That's the big one. I wanted to get that done this year. Year's halfway over. I'm nowhere near halfway done with that at all. Like craziness. But with that said, we've got Tour de Fleece coming up July 1st through I think like the 17th or whatever. So that kicks off on July 1st. And I have plans for lots of dedicated spinning time. So hopefully I will make up for the lost rabbit hole time that came with the circular sock machines. <laughs> That's crazy. And like I said, if I record any videos over there on YouTube to walk you through what I'm doing with the circular sock machines, I will definitely let you know in the next episode. And it looks like that's just about all I've got going on. I'm going to be leading this episode out with the song White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane because it goes with the rabbit hole theme. And as always, you can get the details about this episode and all the past episodes at spincontrolpodcast.com. You can email me at shiloh at foreverhandmade.com. Catch me on Ravelry and Instagram and most social media as Forever Handmade. Thanks again, guys. I'll talk to you soon. One pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. And the ones that mother gives you Smoking caterpillar